I want you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it is known as the love chapter. It's often um, referred to sometimes as the wedding chapter because a lot of weddings share 1 Corinthians 13. Sadly, when we talk about it being the love chapter or a wedding chapter, we take it out of context. There is a context by which Paul wrote this, the Apostle Paul wrote this, and he tried to communicate to the church what it meant to be the church. So as we go through this this morning, the primary uh, application for this chapter is the body of Christ. It's, it's us that we've been learning about in the Made for More series. It's it's about us as masterpieces and how we interact with one another as everyday missionaries, how we come together. And so the context is the church. The secondary context where it can be applied is obviously the home or the workplace. And I'll share some applications from that. But the primary place we need to understand this morning that this Chapter 6 is the local church, the church body. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to be in this for a couple of weeks, so this is sort of part one of a two-part series. Here's what Paul has to say. He actually, you know, in our Bibles, we never had 13 and 12 and 14 and all these chapter numbers. He's actually saying, desire, he's saying, have a passion Earnestly seek the greatest gifts. But then he says, he says, time out though, before we talk about what it means to desire the, the greater gifts, I'm going to show you the right way to go or the, the correct path to be on. And so he says, he sort of does a, he goes on a, a, a rabbit trail, so to speak. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as so to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying in the local church, the number one necessity for the church to be the church is love. We have to have love. It is the requirement of being a Christian and being a part of the body of Christ. You need to have love. Then he says, and I loved our songs this morning because they they were talking about the character of God and who God the Father is. And specifically, not only God the Father, but his son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at the character of who God is and what love is all about. It says, love is patient. And kind, these are the first two positive qualities of love, patience and kindness. He says, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things things. Let's pray and ask that God will speak to us this morning through the power of his word. Father, I thank you. I thank you for what Paul has to say. 
in this very important chapter. And may we as a congregation, may we as a church body, may we hear exactly what you want us to hear. And I pray, dear Lord, that any distraction, any confusion, any worries or anxieties that we're bringing to the table today, I pray that they can be all on the back burner so that we can see you high and lifted up and we can see the love of God and how it is to manifest itself throughout the body of Christ. So we love you and we ask that your Holy Spirit will just speak to us today in a clear fashion. In Jesus' name, amen. Last night our family played a game. It was called Monopoly, the Cheaters Edition. Has anybody ever played Monopoly, the Cheaters Edition? Nobody's willing enough to, to, to I see some hands going up. Let me tell you, it should be renamed Monopoly, the way to destroy your family. <laughs> I mean, we started fighting before we even played the game. And I have to admit, you know, I never admit I'm wrong. I was wrong, okay? I, I just had a bad attitude going into it because when I play Monopoly, what do you think when you play Monopoly? It's like a five-hour game, right? And I'm like, hey, guess what, family? Time out. I have to, I guess, speak in the morning. You know, I don't got time to be playing Monopoly. But the cheater's edition, we thought, well, maybe it's going to be a little bit quicker. Now, Again, you're probably wondering, why would a pastor be playing the cheater's edition? But it, it's, a, it's a very interesting concept. But what it does is it really causes us to fight. Because you're, you're, you're intentionally trying to cheat, to beat the system, to win the game. But you are constantly trying to call out other people and say, you're a cheater, you're a cheater, you're a cheater, you're a cheater. And, and the, tell me, there's no love in this game whatsoever. In, in, in fact, uh, oh, I can't go there because I will get in trouble. But um, it, it was very interesting. Here's what we need to understand. When it comes to the local church, we're not playing the cheater's edition. We're, we're, we're not trying to point out how each other is trying to get by and beat the system. And we're not trying to beat the system. We're trying to be a family. That's why the church is sometimes referred to as a family. We're trying to be the body of Christ. We're trying to be in relationship with one another. Because we know that Jesus gave us a new mandate on how we should live. He says that the way we will show that we are Christians is by our love for one another. So, so we can get the big picture here. Here's sort of what I want us to see for this series. A healthy church is a race to the back of the line. It's not about trying to be first. It's trying to be last. Isn't that what Jesus said? I did not come to be served, but to serve. And Jesus would constantly say, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Now, I, I do a lot of coaching, but even here at school, I see kids line up. Every kid wants to be first. In basketball, we got to do a lot of drills. It's just so interesting watching the kids. Everybody wants to be first. And they shove and they push and they do this number and they try to get ahead. And it's been interesting coaching. I notice a new phenomenon. Not only is everybody trying to be first, 
There are those that are so concerned with fighting and arguing, they're not even getting in line. The church that is healthy and strong has a bunch of people who are willing to play second fiddle, willing to sit in the second seat, willing to get in the back of the line. And which, by the way, this can be applied. So a healthy marriage is a race to the back of the line. A healthy family is where everybody is racing to get in the back of the line. A a, a healthy leadership structure is a race for everybody to get in the back of the line. Wherever context you want to apply this, it is constantly a race not to be first, but to be last. And we're going to see this in the characteristics of what love is all about. So the way Paul lays it out, he gives us three conditions. And I just want to try to Make us understand what these conditions are. Here's the first condition. If I say that I am spiritual or if I'm spirit-filled, the way he, he talks about it is speaking in tongues. Because, again, this is in the context of the Corinth church. There was a race on, and not again a race to be last, but a race to be first. Everybody wanted to speak in tongues because they thought that that is where spirituality was all about. And and you don't blame them because if you are, again, just a a few years removal of the early church starting in Acts chapter 2, you're like, wow, that was a dynamic thing that everybody was speaking in tongues and the, the Lord showed up and the Holy Spirit was there and fire was upon them. And so everybody thought you needed to speak in tongues. And, and Paul is trying to be very clear. Now, Even with what I'm going to say next, you may think that Paul is saying, well, it's not important to speak in tongues, or it's not important to be spiritual, or it's not important to be spirit-filled. That's not the way he's addressing this. He's addressing those, again, who want to be front in line. And so if your mindset is, I'm more spiritual than you are, if I am more spirit-filled, but Paul says, but if you, if you don't have love, you're a nobody. In fact, he, he talks about the cymbals, gongs, and, and it's just a, a big noise. Literally what he's saying is it's false worship. The thing that sometimes that we think makes us spiritual Oh, yes, I got a special anointing of the Holy Spirit, or, or I can understand Scripture better than you can, or I, I attend church more often than you attend, or I'm a small group leader, I'm God's anointed, or I am, again, taking it in a marriage context, I am the husband, and I am the one on the throne, and everybody else is just not as spiritual as me. And whenever we go in that direction, Paul says it's false worship, because true Worship is a love for God, which Jesus changed the definition. In the Old Testament, love for God was to obey the commandments. But what Jesus said, no, love for God and true worship is love for one another. Love for one another in the body of Christ. So the first condition he says, if you think it's going to be special 
to call yourself someone who is more spiritual than someone else, you're not getting the picture of what love is all about. Here's the second condition he says. So basically he's saying, if you say to yourself, well, I am better than you. He goes on, you can speak in prophecy. Literally, it's a teaching gift. It's not just looking into the future. It's, if, if I can declare words in a bold fashion, or if I got knowledge, especially secret knowledge that you don't have, I, I understand the book of Revelation, but you don't understand the book of Revelation, or I understand what God is doing in this situation, but you obviously don't understand what God is doing in this situation. Or if my faith... Oh, I'm a better Christian than you are because I'm a better disciple and I have more faith and I pray more and and I'm out there. If you're going to say that, Paul says, this isn't going to work either. It's not about who's more spiritual and it's not who can say that they're better at Christianity than someone else. Again, he emphasizes in this this contrast, he says, "But, but I, he's putting it, but if I do not have love... I'm a nobody, and I love that he's putting the personal aspect to this challenge. He's saying, I. You know, for someone who's up on stage a lot and been a pastor most of my life, over half of my life now, and being up front, one of the things I've observed is a lot of congregations or a lot of people observe me from the context of who I am on stage. And, and I think what Paul is saying, it, it's not about who's up on stage or what abilities or talents or gifts they have. You need to go home or you need to go to their home and ask their spouse. In, in California, one of the guys we worked with, and whenever we would hire staff, we would look into the eyes of the wife, especially if we were hiring a male. And we would try to see, does that wife look and talk and feel like she is loved? You see, it's not about how you present yourself at church. It's about what happens in the home. You know, I, I like to joke around. You know, I'm joking around about the Monopoly game. I, I joke around sometimes about McKinsey and my family and all that stuff. But I think, uh, and again, I'm being trustful here of my family. But I think if you talk to my family... It's not about who I am up here on stage. It's about what I'm like in the home and what sacrifices. And so when you see somebody in your small group or you see somebody at Sunday school class or just don't make the assumption because somebody is sitting there, what Paul is trying to say, it's the love. It is the love that is the criteria of whether you're healthy and strong and mature or not. So not only does he talk about those two conditions, he talks about one that, you know, we probably don't talk about too much. He says, if I give away everything, you know, if I'm giving away my life, my money, if I'm giving, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Literally, I think what Paul is trying to say here, and commentators talk about this, and writers talk about this, you know, this whole, really, the prosperity gospel movement of, I'm going to give to get something from God. If your perspective is, I give to get. If I'm generous for getting something from God or having a reputation 
Again, I've served in a lot of churches, and I know that every church has a select few that people sort of revere because they're known sort of as the givers. And I always wonder, how do they know that when we don't publicize giving? But it's just sort of known, where the expectation is, oh yeah, they give because they, they, they have a lot of money. And what Paul is saying, it's not whether you're considering yourself spiritual or better than or you're giving everything away. It comes down to it, do you love? And that's why a lot of writers say these first three verses are talking about the necessity of love. The mark, not of my mark, but the mark of being a Christian, the mark of a church is always, always love. The mark of a disciple is love. The mark of a a great husband is love. The mark of a great wife is love. The mark of a great parent is love. The mark of a great child is love. Everything is about love. The, the mark of leadership, whether it's in the church or outside the church, is love. And that's why when we turn on the news today and when we're watching whatever it is, whoever is the voice out there, some of it just rings wrong to us because we're not seeing the love. We're not seeing the patience and the kindness that Paul is talking about. So I want to take us now to, to what I think is the heart. And so, real briefly here before I move on to that. Basically, you fill in everything, anything you want in there. If you say this but you don't have love, Paul is saying, I am nothing. I'm a nobody. I, it's meaningless. And again, you can say, if I attend church, if I serve in church, if I'm a member at a church, if we're a traditional church, we're a contemporary church, we're, we're a charismatic church, we're a non-Pentecostal church, we're a, a Mennonite church, whatever you want to throw in that definition of what a church is, he's saying, if you don't love, you're, you're, you're nothing. And I believe also then we can take that in all of our relationships. Some people say, well, just because I'm married, that means something. No, it doesn't mean anything if there's not love. Or I have kids. Oh, okay, great. But if, there, if there's not love there, where is the parental aspect of love? And so we need to see what love is truly about. So here's where I want to go. Notice in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, if you're there, this is a verse that I think that everyone needs to understand. And so if you, if you um, are reading this this week, I would encourage you to be in 1 Corinthians 13 and meditate on it and memorize it. I would encourage you to look at verse 7. And it, it gives four characteristics, and he, he's being all inclusive. He's given us everything, every possibility. And so he says in verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. He's talking again. What does it look like for there to be a race to the back of the line? So here's the four characteristics. The first one is this. Love is a covering. That word bears is literally a, a word for a ceiling or a roof. 
And so basically, um, the definition I give here for a covering, it's slow to expose. You see, in, in relationships, in, in relationships in the church, sometimes we're, we're very quick to point out each other's faults, their weaknesses. To say, you know, you got a zit right there. You know, we're there to point out everyone's flaws. And what Paul is saying, love bears all things. He's not saying, don't get me wrong, he's not saying overlook sin. 1 Corinthians, he is addressing sin after sin after sin after sin. But what he is saying is, you're not there in a relationship to point out everybody's weaknesses. In fact, you're trying to cover them up. And the way you do that, the positive is that you point out other people's strengths. Instead of saying, and I'll just use myself, instead of saying Mark is weak at uh, woo, for example, or something, try to say, yeah, but Mark, he's strong at, and then fill in whatever you think I'm strong at. You see, in our relationships, the reason so many of them go sour is because we're just looking for the faults in others. And what Paul wants us to know, because he's describing Christ here. This is the way Christ was here on the earth. You know, even, you remember the story when Christ was with the Samaritan woman, who was definitely guilty of everything? He, he's not even bringing up her sin until later in the conversation until she starts questioning him. In fact, when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, he, he's not bringing up the issue that he's not good at his finances. He just is like, you know, what does the commandment say? Oh, I kept him. And, you know, and again, if I was leading that rich young ruler, I would have said, hogwash, you haven't kept all the commandments. But Jesus, in his love, he covers. And we need to do a better job of covering. Bearing with one another. Let's face it, we all got weaknesses. Sometimes we're not self-aware to know what our weaknesses are. But your job is not to point out other people's weaknesses. God, God's got this person, it's called the Holy Spirit. And the last time I checked, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. The Holy Spirit is the one that changes. The Holy Spirit is the one that transforms lives. The Holy Spirit is what works in the lives of others. Our job is to bear all things and to do the best. Again, not hiding over sin. Don't get me wrong. We talked about that last week in, or a couple of weeks ago, that we are the light of the world and we're to, to expose the darkness. What I'm talking about in our relationships don't go after the other person. Don't go after your kids when they're the weakest. Don't go after your parents when they're struggling. Here's the second truth, and this is a powerful one. This could be a sermon in and of itself. Love is trust. Love sees the best in others. I've talked about this before, and I've been to a lot of conferences where Andy Stanley speaks, and Andy Stanley speaks about where, where our expectations 
don't meet our experience with others, there's a gap. And that we have a choice to fill in that gap. And this is sort of what is being talked about with love believes all things. It, it, it trusts all things. It, it's saying, I'm going to see the best in others. It, it's talking about the present. And so when we have expectations, and there's tons of expectations. There was expectations of me when I came to this church. Of what I was going to do, or how I was going to lead, or how I was going to pastor, or how I was going to teach, or how I was going to shepherd. But guess what? I had expectations too. You go to a small group, there's certain expectations. You send your kid to a youth ministry, there's certain expectations. You send your kid to a children's ministry, you go on a missions trip, you give your money to the church, whatever it is, you have certain expectations. But when those expectations don't match with what you are seeing, there is a gap there. And what are you going to put in that gap? Are you going to believe the best and think the best? And trust God that the best is about to happen? Or are you going to fill that gap with doubt? You see, a lot of us in our relationships, especially our marriage relationship, we get ourselves in trouble because we, we do what I call self-fulfilling prophecy. We're, we're suspicious. We're suspicious that because experience has shown us that our spouse is going to let us down with whatever issue it is. Our spouse is going to let us down with the finances, or our spouse is going to let us down with communication, or our spouse is going to let us down with being the man of the house, or being the lady of the house, or whatever it is. And so what ends up happening, we're suspicious, and, and we're just waiting, sort of like that Monopoly cheaters game. Oh, I caught you. Let's look behind, and then you look behind the card if you get caught. I'm not talking to you for another week. That is no way to live life. It is much easier to look at each other and to believe the best in each other, to see the best. This is probably the hardest to do because, honestly, belief is the hardest thing about being a Christian. To believe that God is good, to believe that God keeps his promises, to believe that God is for me, not against me, to believe that God is in control of the situation, that, that, that's hard. And so it's going to be really hard for us to believe the best about others, but that is what love is all about. Not waiting for them to slip up and to say, aha, because we learned earlier in that list, love doesn't keep track. It doesn't keep score. It doesn't have a list of everyone's wrongdoings. So love is a covering. Love is a trust. Here's a powerful one. Love is holding on. He, he says hope's all things. Literally, it's a confident, hope is a confident expectation in the future. In fact, this may have been a, this may have been a hymn or a poem that Paul is inserting here. It may have been something that they recited often. And they do it in, a, in what's called a, a, a chiasm. It's an A, and I've shared this before, an A-B-B-A pattern. And so the, the A's are looking at the present. Believes all things is looking, how am I going to approach the future? And then hopes all things is saying, how am I going to approach the future? Am I going to approach the future that I'm going to hold on? 
I'm going to hold on and trust that God is at work. I mean, can you just go back to Jesus? Can you believe Jesus and the Father, they're talking, okay, I'm going to send you down to earth, and you're going to be rejected down there. Your own people aren't going to get it. You're going to have a bunch of confrontation with the Pharisees. You know, the, they're, they're just going to be out to kill you. In fact, by the way, they will kill you. They will crucify you. And, uh, and after you're dead, by the way, I'll raise you up in three days. And I, I, I mean, obviously, I know Jesus is God, but all of us understand there's a part like, God, really, are you at work in this situation? Are you at work? Are you... Can God work in your spouse? Can he work in that prodigal son? Can he work in that, that child that is resistant to your love? Can, can God work in a messy situation? Yes, he can. We just got to hold on. That's what hope is. Hope is confident that it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not even about this church or the relationships you're in. It's about God. And God is at work. Last Sunday, we talked about spiritual warfare, and I mentioned something, and Michelle was talking to me, and it's true, because I mentioned that the victory is already ours. That's why Paul says, stand against the devil, stand strong, because the victory is already ours, and Michelle's like, yeah, but that's hard to see that the victory is ours when, and she listed a whole bunch of situations in our lives and other people's lives it's hard to see that, but that's what hope is. Hope is seeing where God is at work and the victory that is ours if we're willing to claim it. Here's his last definition. Love is strong. Literally, it says, it says love endures all things in this word here is a, a strong word. It's probably the strongest word he can use. And it's a strong word that describes God himself. It literally means to hold up under weight. And if something is heavy, you hold up. You resist against it. And so what he's saying is, is that this love that we have endures. And so the positive is, chooses to stay the course. The negative is to quit. And the easiest thing sometimes to do in a church that is messy is to quit. To, to assume maybe that the grass is greener at some other church, and some of you probably can attest, going to another church doesn't mean that the grass is always greener. Why? Because everywhere the call is to be strong, to choose to stay the course, to to hold on to the path. And that's true in your relationships. And it's true at church. It's true. Now again, sometimes common sense says, yes, it's, it's time to move on. And, but that's not the point right now. And that's not the discussion. The discussion is love is strong. It endures everything. The roughest, messiest, stinkiest mess that there are out there. And it endures it all. I joked around a couple of weeks ago about how we got a new puppy at home. And um, Maylee loves this story because uh, she blessed us with this puppy. And um, like yesterday morning, 
or maybe two mornings ago, you know, he's staying in her garage right now because Mackenzie's allergic to dog. You know, and it's just like eight big, messy spots, if you know what I mean. And, and, and you know, the message that I keep hearing in my family, just endure it. Get through the puppy stage. He's so cute right now. I think he's got the potential to be a really, 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 really good dog. Yes, I get it, but it's pretty stinky and messy right now. And I think it's sort of a, a weak illustration, but it's a powerful illustration. Sometimes you're going to have to hold on and choose to stay the course because, again, you know, God is doing something. And God isn't going to say it's finished until it is finished. Whenever you look at the Christian life, it's always positive. Forget about the past, press on to the future. Here's where I've been wrestling this weekend. I'm going to give you this, and you can talk about it in next steps. You can talk about it at home even. Um, I got this quote. It's a Simon Sinek quote. And if you know, I, I like to, to, to read his quotes. I, I like to read his books. He, he's got a book. In fact, one time I spoke on 1 Corinthians 13 here. And I talked about leaders eat last or Christians eat last. He wrote, he wrote a book about leaders eat last. Again, it's a race to the end of the line. But I came across this quote, love is giving someone the power to destroy you and trusting they won't use it. I think we need to wrestle with that sometimes. Really, that's what, that's what marriage is about. That's what parenting is about. Now, that's what about going and working for somebody is all about, unless you're maybe self-employed. It, 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 it's what it's about. But that's what church is about. And sometimes I, I, I read guys like this and I say, where do they get their wisdom? And I don't even know if Simon Sinek's a believer or not. I, I don't know. I know he's speaking at some Christian gatherings, but that doesn't make anybody a Christian. But one thing I know is he's taking the definition from Paul in 1 Corinthians. Love trust. Even if you think you're going to get hosed, love trust. So here's the next step I want us to be thinking about this week. What does love require of me? If you attend this church, what does love require of you? If you are a leader in this church, what does love require of you? If you serve in this church, what does love require of you? If you're married, you gotta be asking this question, what does love require of you to love your husband or your wife? If you're a parent, you gotta ask yourself, what does love require of you to love your children or your adult children or your grandchildren? What does love require of you? If you're a child or a grandchild, what does it require of you for your parents? Some people are going through mixed marriages and, and stepfamilies and some of this stuff. And so the question always is then, what does it look like for, for me to love and respect maybe a new stepmom or stepdad or stepbrothers or stepsisters? When I was at my uh, stepmom's funeral last month, I was talking with um, my step 
sisters specifically, and it was tough. And again, they, when, I, when my dad got married, again, I must have been in my 40s or late 30s, and um, they were probably roughly in their late 30s, 40s as well, and, and, and there was just some struggles. But when it comes down to it is the question for us as Christians is what does love require of us? to get along in situations that just aren't right. Because if you're waiting on the situation to be right, it's never going to get there. Think about it this week. What does love require of you?